Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the MoneyWise radio program with Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group, your financial and retirement guide. Thank you for making us part of your morning. The mission of USA Wealth is to help you protect your family and protect your money. Now, please welcome your host, Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome again to another version of MoneyWise. Only this morning we're not with the money guys. We're with me and with a very special guest. We can't rightfully call you a money guy, Tenny. We are here this morning with attorney Tenny Lance, uh, who happens to be related to me. My name is Ray Lance. We're with you every weekend at the same time. And today we're going to be talking about the subject of how do you plan for medical expenses in retirement including some thoughts about how you might be able to protect your house if you have to go to a nursing home, or actually it's now called a... Skilled nursing facility. Skilled nursing facility. That's hard for me to remember. But MoneyWise is brought to you every time this week by USA Wealth Group. We are located at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. Our office phone number is 508-998-8858. And we invite you to visit us on our website, usawealthgroup.com. I'd like to remind everyone listening that we have a huge variety of really important reports that would be useful to you in your retirement planning, including the Baby Boomer's Guide to Social Security, uh, including budget forms, and so forth. But today we'd like to welcome Tenny Lance, Attorney Tenny Lance. And Tenny, your office is located at the same address. How long have you been practicing law, Tenny? Good morning, everyone. I have been practicing since 1997. Well, that's a pretty long time. Let's see. I can't count up all the years on that. (laughs) But the interesting thing is that I went to law school late in life. And in fact, I was in law school at the same time as my daughter, our daughter. Our daughter. Yes, she is our daughter. She's also a graduate of, uh, what's the name of the school? Franklin Pierce Law Center. University of New Hampshire School of Law. Oh, is that what it is now? They yes. changed the name of it. That's right. They did change the name. Well, the same thing with the law school that you attended. It used to be called Southern New England School of Law. And now the University of Massachusetts School of Law. Yes. Well, welcome. We're going to be talking this morning, ladies and gentlemen, about retirement. Originally, we were going to be talking about can you afford to retire? And very recently, there was an article in the New Bedford Standard Times about one of the greatest fears that people have as they approach retirement is they're very much afraid they're going to run out of money. They're not going to have enough money to live on in retirement. And there was an article that appeared actually this month, and it was called Afraid You'll Outlive Your Nest Egg. 44% of workers cite having insufficient finances as their biggest retirement fear. It's a real concern. We don't save enough money in this country. We don't plan for the future in this country. And this morning, we're going to invite you to take action and do something about it. So if you're one of the fortunate few who have a pension and Social Security and you have sufficient money to retire on, maybe you still need to take a look and see if your documents are in place and to see whether you're truly going to have enough money to live on. So here's my favorite question I like to ask people sometimes when I do seminars, Tenny, and I'm going to ask you this morning, How long do you plan to live? Until what age? I've always said I wanted to be 105 and a burden to my children. 
<laughs> or maybe a burden to your husband. Who knows? Could be. <laughs> well, none of us knows ever how long we're going to live. I used to say that I plan to live until at least age 85. And then more recently I've been saying I plan to live until at least age 90. And then you start to think about it. And you see all the 90-year-olds around that you know that are in really good shape. And you say, well, I take really good care of myself. You know, Tandy, we were just talking a couple of days ago. And I just recently had some updates on my physical uh, condition. My blood pressure is in great shape. I'm going to tell you once over the radio. My blood pressure was 120 over 70, and my cholesterol was 71. And the doctor said, you're in great shape. Keep on doing what you're doing. Well, I need to exercise more. I still need to lose some weight. Um, I need probably a little bit more home cooking uh, instead of eating out. (laughs) You always give me a hard time about cooking. (laughs) Well... I guess that's probably a subject that we better not put on the radio and talk about it. No. But the fact is the uh, Transamerica Study for Retirement Studies said 44% of all workers of all ages are really concerned about having enough money in retirement. One quarter of middle-class Americans say they get depressed thinking about their finances during retirement. That's one quarter. So one quarter of everybody listening today at least, is depressed about it, concerned about it. 48% of those people who have not yet retired, 48%, that's almost half, are not confident they will have saved enough to live the lifestyle they want to in retirement. So virtually everybody listening today has some concerns about, are you going to have enough money to live on in retirement? And, you know, Tandy, coupled with that, people are concerned about protecting their houses and making sure that If they ever have to go to a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility, is that what it's called? Yes. That's the right name. Okay. People should be really concerned about doing something and taking some action, and yet we tend to be a nation of procrastinators. And I think everybody does the same thing. But most people, you know, to bring this little topic to a close, are really concerned about whether they're going to have enough money to live on in retirement. We're going to talk about this subject over the next couple of weeks as it relates to housing, as it relates to the subject of inflation. And today we're going to focus on health care costs, medical costs. What can you do to protect your assets and make sure you have enough money? You know, a lot of people think about, well, I'm just concerned about my budget. Uh, I know what my expenses are. How do I create enough income that I'm going to live and be able to pay my expenses? But a lot of people put on the back burner and don't think about health care costs. And yet one of the most significant expenses that everybody has in retirement is the cost of health care. And let's take a look. You know, I I need to give you a quotation first, Tenny, because I like to give quotations. So I need to ask you to guess who made this statement. This is about uh, medicine, modern medicine. The whole imposing edifice of modern medicine is like the celebrated Tower of Pisa, slightly off balance. Dump, 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 dump. I have no idea. Ronald Reagan. No, it was Charles, Prince of Wales. Ha <laughs> my favorite guy. That's why I, I found this quote, and I said I have to use this quotation on the radio for Tenny. She thinks Prince Charles walks on water. Well, maybe he can swim on the water with his appendages, his, his, his arms, not in his feet. Um, when I was young, I always wanted to marry Charles. Well, 
Heaven knows why. <laughs> Just to remind you, my middle name is Charles. <laughs> and I did. That's right. <laughs> well, let me give you an inflation quotation, however, because inflation is a serious concern. And we're not talking about footballs, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about real inflation. So Sam Ewing said once, inflation is when you pay $15 for a $10 haircut you used to get for $5 when you had hair. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But uh, I do have a quotation from Ronald Reagan also since you mentioned his name. Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. We have not yet begun to be concerned about inflation in this country, but we will very shortly because our interest rates have been kept artificially low, both because of the economy and because of the Federal Reserve Bank keeping rates very low. But we're going to do a whole show at some point on just the subject of inflation because when it happens, it's going to impact everybody listening, especially those who are retired But we do have a retirement crisis today. People are living longer. Uh, We like to think that we can live the same lifestyle. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about how to reduce housing costs uh, in a future program. But today we want to talk about medical costs. And the concern today is really twofold. One, do folks have enough money to be able to handle medical costs? And two, which is where you come in this morning, Tenny, Do you have the right documents in place so if you have health care issues, somebody will be able to make decisions for you and help take care of you? So, Tenny, tell us a little bit about what you do, first of all, in helping clients. I know you do a lot of work in the estate planning area, but what does that mean? What kind of documents do you typically prepare that would help somebody uh, either in retirement or even if they become incapacitated? Our firm... um is related to several areas that are are similar to what you're talking about today. One is estate planning, and that is making certain that your documents are in place for whatever might happen to you in the future. The other is Medicaid planning, and a third is the administration of estates when something does happen to someone. But back to the field of estate planning, um, we have always said that We believe in living trusts as a terrific mechanism of how you can pass things on to your family, to your beneficiaries in the most efficient way without any input from the probate court and uh, just exactly as you want them to be passed on. So what is a living trust? It's a legal document, I assume? A trust is a legal document. We tell people to think of it like a treasure chest. When you sign your trust document, you essentially have built this chest into which you will put your assets of one type or another, whether those assets are bank accounts or stocks or your house. Okay, so the trust in general is a better document than having a will, I assume? We believe it is better in the sense that it uh, allows your assets to go to your beneficiaries without going through the probate process and with a lot more controls on your part about how those assets get passed on or maybe are held for a future generation. All right, so let's focus for a minute on some of the important documents that might need to be done now to allow somebody to make decisions for you if you become incapacitated or ill. 
there are two very important documents that we think everyone should have. And one of those is a durable power of attorney for property. The other is a health care power of attorney. Now, note that they both use the terms power of attorney. Through these documents, you are appointing an agent to take care of either your property or your body, depending upon what the need is. And with both of those documents, virtually anything that you own can be protected for you without going through a legal process such as guardianship or conservatorship. So is it a fair statement to say that everybody ought to have a durable power of attorney and a health care proxy? Absolutely. We very strongly believe in that. You know, recently I was looking at some information from uh, Boston College. They have a very important organization there called Center for Retirement Research, and it's devoted strictly to retirement topics. And one of the things they found very recently, they do something called a National Retirement Risk Index that the outlook for the present baby boomers and the next generation behind, the so-called Generation Xers, is much more serious a problem than it is for people who are presently retired. And right now, according to Boston College and the studies they've done, 52% of all households are at risk for not having enough money to maintain their living standards in retirement. And I know people right now, I have a a friend of mine who uh, happens to be a lawyer, and uh, he's making arrangements to go live with one of his children because he's not going to be able to afford staying in his larger home that he's been supporting while he's been working. So people are going to be looking at doubling up, uh, living with family members, maybe putting an addition onto somebody's home and all that sort of stuff. Um, But one of the first things we tell people uh, when you're thinking about retirement or any other subject for that matter is you have to set some goals. So what is your number one goal in retirement? And I'm going to ask this question to you, Tenny. And for most people, it really is making sure you have enough income sources to live on in retirement. And I think a second goal is that they want to pass on whatever they have accumulated during their life and they've worked hard to do so. They want to pass it along to their family without uh, having it depleted by the government. Okay, that's an excellent goal. And that really translates down even to more simple terms. You don't want to lose your house. Most people say, my biggest asset is my house. I don't want to lose it. So should you give your house to your kids, for example? Is that a way to protect the house? Uh, We always tell people that's not a very good idea, and there are several reasons why it's not. Uh, One of them is a tax reason that's fairly complicated. It relates to capital gains taxes. But also there are reasons such as what if your child should injure someone and be sued? Your house is at risk. What if that child should, heaven forbid, have to declare bankruptcy? Or get divorced. Or get divorced. Your house might be at risk. So there are a lot of reasons why we don't think that your child should be given your uh, appreciated property like a house. I guess there might be some tax reasons not to do that also. Well, that's what I said. It's uh, related to capital gains, which is a complicated subject I won't go into. But nevertheless, that is a big reason why you don't want to do that. Well, what if somebody says to you, you know, one of the things I'd like to do is I really want to protect my house no matter what. I'm talking to you as a lawyer. Um, 
what could you do with a house to put it into a different entity, for example, so that it wouldn't be available to a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility? The most popular mechanism that's now being used to protect houses is something called an irrevocable income-only trust. And here again, we're talking about trusts, and I know people get confused by them, but there are all kinds of trusts, and this is a fairly simple trust that uh, simply could hold your house as an owner. Okay, and so let's assume somebody sets up this irrevocable income-only trust. What do you do next? Do you, do you deed the house into this trust? That's right. Just like with the living trust that we've talked so much about on this show, the irrevocable trust is something like a box when you sign it, a treasure chest, and you would actually deed your house into this box. It would be held there. It would be managed by a trustee. And that trustee is not going to be you, but it's someone that you name someone that you trust implicitly to do the right things by the house and by you. That was going to be my next question. So you cannot be the trustee of your own irrevocable trust, but somebody else could. In order to protect the property, uh, you should not be your own uh, trustee, no. So you want to name somebody, usually a trusted child, who you're close to and who will understand if you wanted to have that property sold or downsize your lifestyle and so forth. All right. So in the context of putting the house into this irrevocable trust and protecting it, is there some time period that has to go by before this house is protected? We're talking now about the implications of Medicaid. And yes, if you are concerned about Medicaid and the cost of nursing home care, then you are talking about a five-year period after you take some action to protect an asset like the house, before that asset is protected from Medicaid. Okay, so that's at least one thing that people could do in order to protect their house. And I suppose people could do long-term care insurance and things of that nature as well. Long-term care insurance is a wonderful thing. It, uh, you, you know, and, and you're talking about whether you'll have enough income during your retirement. Often long-term care, if it's not purchased early on, maybe in your 50s, would probably be too expensive for your other retirement income needs. Mm, But long-term care is a wonderful um, uh, way to protect your home from being taken by the state. So the next thing I'd like to say is, wake up, America. It's later than you think. So you've got to set some goals, first of all. We've talked about a couple of goals. I think for most people... One goal is to stay healthy. A second goal might be, I don't want to ever run out of money. I want to make sure my income is going to be sufficient to take care of my needs. I'm willing to reduce my expenses a little bit, but I don't want to run out of money. I don't want to run out of income. And in order to figure that out, you need to do a retirement budget. I use the word budget all the time. And I also say that when I see people in my office and we talk about retirement planning and financial services, Probably only 5% of the people I see have ever done a budget. So if you're listening today and you want a copy of a budget, call the office, 508-998-8858, and say, please send me a budget form. We'll be happy to send that to you. But if you don't have a budget, then you don't have a roadmap. It's like getting in the car and say, I need to drive to someplace in New York, and I think I can figure out how to get there. 
you don't have a map, you don't know where you're going. If you don't have a budget, you don't know what you're spending. If you don't have a budget, you don't know what to cut back on. So do a budget. It's very important. We can help you with it. Uh, we can provide you a budget without any cost to you. You need to determine a budget, especially for retirement purposes. So let's assuming let's assume that you're still working and you say, am I going to have enough money to live on in retirement? Well, let's take a look and see what your expenses are, first of all. And then we'll say, will you have these same set of expenses in retirement or will you have fewer expenses perhaps? Um, I have a client recently who retired at the end of this past year who was commuting every day into Providence. Well, she no longer has that additional cost of commuting. So we were able to adjust that uh, expenditure a little bit and and uh, show a more realistic set of expenses. The next thing is, um, what can you do in your portfolio or in your assets? What do you have? You have Social Security. We'll come back to that in just a minute. When do you start taking Social Security? How much will you be receiving? And then do you have a pension? If you don't have a pension, do you have other assets? Can we take some of those other assets and put them into something that will create income for you, such as an annuity, for example? Now, we happen to do a lot of work with annuities in our office, and there are great fixed and fixed index annuities you can do today that will continue to add to your fund that you might want for retirement, or you can even put income riders on them, and we can do detailed computer projections and show you exactly how much money this is going to create for you, both as a guaranteed sum and as a hypothetical sum for the rest of your life, and it'll pay out for you the rest of your life. So if you had that and you had Social Security and then you match that up with your budget, maybe you're going to have enough money to live on in retirement. So we want you to make sure that you're ready, but you don't know if you're ready if you don't make a plan, if you don't sit down and, and take a look at it. Um, I, I think it's interesting when you talk about annuities, um, why the things that you do and the things that I do interrelate very well often is that if you have a mechanism called an irrevocable income-only trust, that protects that asset from a nursing home after five years. Now, let's say what you put into that trust is not a house, as we've talked about mostly, but an annuity that produces income. You are the income beneficiary of that annuity, and therefore that income comes to you, helps you provide for your retirement living, but it's protected after five years from the Medicaid process. You know, that's really interesting because we've done that a number of times. If you have a large bank account, for example, and you put that inside the irrevocable income-only trust, as you said, after five years, it's going to be protected from a nursing home. It's going to be protected from creditors. And yet you can take the money and invest it into the annuity. Uh, that can be a great double strategy. Mostly what my concern is is to make sure that people – have enough money to live on in retirement. And I've had so many situations that people have come to me and said they didn't think they had enough money to live on. You can read all kinds of stories today in the paper. In fact, I've got some of them here with me today at the radio station that say, well, it used to be you had to have a million dollars in an account in order to be able to retire because you're going to withdraw 4% a year and you don't want to run out of money. And then sometimes people will say, oh, no, it has to be a million and a half dollars or $2 million dollars. None of those figures make sense. It really relates only to you individually. Uh, for example, if you've got Social Security, maybe you've got a part-time job, 
you might be able to get away, uh, get a buy very fine in retirement with two or three hundred thousand dollars of assets, and especially if it's invested properly. So we're going to talk about Social Security. We're going to talk about some other ideas for making sure you have enough money to pay your medical expenses. And uh, Tenny, I'm so glad that you're here. How can people reach you if they want to talk about doing estate planning documents? What's your number? Please call 508-998-8800. We are up on Fonts Corner Road. I know it's in the middle of a big construction project right now, and it makes everybody frustrated to be caught in traffic. But we are at 352 Fonts Corner Road, and that's almost directly across from the Vanity Fair outlet. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes, and we'll talk further about medical expenses and medical needs and medical planning in retirement. Please stay tuned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Money Wise. Thank you for joining us this fine weekend morning. We like to share with you every single week subjects that will relate to your finances, how to protect your money, how to protect your family. Our goal, we always say, number one is protect your family. Number two is protect your money. And we like to give different topics and different ideas every single week so that we can show you some things that you can do, but you have to take some action. Our special guest this morning is attorney Tenny Lance. Tenny is the president and principal in Lance Law, Inc. Welcome back, Tenny. Good morning again. <laughs> and uh, so, Tenny, tell us, what do you work on mostly in your office? Our office is oriented almost entirely to estate planning, retirement planning, Medicaid planning, and so forth. So the majority of our uh, clients are those who are probably at least in their early to mid-60s and on up from there. Um, and it gives us great joy to be able to help these people because these folks are, as Tom Brokaw once said, the, uh, the best generation. The greatest generation. Greatest generation. Greatest generation. Uh, I wonder if you know that Tom Brokaw recently went through some major medical issues himself. He had a multiple melanoma, myomelanoma, and suffered for about three years of really intense treatment. And for a long time, he actually kept that from the public. I just uh, finished reading a book that he wrote on that subject. It was a little bit of a depressing, dour book, but um, I sort of went through it fairly quickly and read it. But the important thing is that he got good medical assistance, and his cancer, which is a very rare um, form of cancer, is in remission. And he is a great guy, and he did speak for and help to represent the greatest generation you know, there's another famous newsman also um, uh, who went through some serious medical issues, and that's Mike Wallace uh, from CBS. He died at the age of 93 in 2012. He was a journalist. His career spanned 60 years, mostly at a 60-minute show. At the end of his life, he went through dementia, and that's a very costly illness as well because his son said um, – Physically, he was in great shape. Mentally, he's not. He still recognizes me and knows who I am, but he's uneven. So what's happening today is even for somebody like Mike Wallace, who lived for a long time after being diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's, 
Because of advances in medical sciences today, we're all able to live longer. And the other side of that, the flip side of the coin, is that a lot of people are likely to suffer from a diminished mental state, which is really hard to uh, accept for a lot of people. It's estimated, for example, that one in eight baby boomers is going to get Alzheimer's after they turn 65. One in eight, that's a scary number. You know, I think that although none of us want to have physical ailments, I think most of us fear even more having a mental ailment. Uh, I know that your mother, Tenny, had dementia and my mother had dementia. And as uh, we've said sometimes, it's likely that one of us will go into a nursing home someday, but it's not going to be me. (laughs) Nor me. I mean, well, we'll have to make some choices about that, won't we? (laughs) And it's very difficult, certainly on children, because parents say that kind of thing. They say, don't ever put me in a nursing home, as your mother did. And it came to the point where for her protection, for her safety, we had to do that. Well, we all hope that, you know, we don't end up in a nursing home or a skilled nursing facility. But, you know, the risk of a slow decline and long incapacity can mean that sometimes you can run out of assets. You can go through all of your money. And so... Protecting those assets is most important. There's a show on radio in uh, Boston, and and we use the same phraseology a lot. Just don't lose the money. Take the right steps that you need to do to protect your family. And that means also protecting your money. Whether it's you yourself who may have an incapacity and may have to have some uh, long-term care, uh, or whether you simply want to protect as much as you can for the next generation. If you don't take some action... If you don't have a plan, then you could run the risk of going through all of your assets. What does it cost for a nursing home for one year today, roughly in the Greater Fall River, New Bedford area? It costs about $130,000. Um, that's now translates to about $300 a day. The interesting thing is, though, that the cost of a skilled nursing facility is increasing at far beyond the cost of regular inflation. You know, once, once somebody becomes incapacitated, it's, it's generally too late to make changes in their estate planning documents. So you need to do it while you're healthy, while you have your mental faculties. And if you don't do that, as you've said earlier, then your family might have to go into court and have a conservator appointed for you. Is that what it's called today, a conservator? Uh, people pronounce it in different ways, either conservator or conservator. I tend to use conservator. But it's basically but it's a guardian. This, it's, yes, a, it's a court-appointed person who will have the right to do with your property as that conservator and uh, your needs uh, see fit. So that if uh, something needs to be sold in order to pay for your nursing home, the conservator would be able to do that. And I guess that's an embarrassment to the family and to the individual because they have to be declared incompetent, Right. Yes, and it's a public process in court where a medical record has to be presented talking about all the ways that you are incompetent, and everyone is there to be able to hear that. It's a very sad process. And expensive, too, I understand. Yes. So you want to avoid having to go through that, and the way you avoid that is by doing what? A durable power of attorney for property. The other um, process that is similar is guardianship and that is often needed if somebody really will not take care of themselves will not let themselves be entered into a nursing home if they 
for their safety and for their other needs. They should be there. People have to go into court and petition the court to be appointed a guardian over someone's body so that they can get that person entered into a skilled nursing facility. You know, I, I know a lot of people think, well, I'm healthy right now. I don't need to plan. If I start feeling ill, I'll take care of my documents then. But sometimes you don't have time to plan. Like if you had a stroke, for example, or if you got hit by a car and you had suddenly a need to have somebody make medical decisions for you. So really, Anyone who's ever come into to my office will know that I use this terrible analogy. I always talk about... You know, what if you go out of here today and you get run over by a truck? And one day I had a terrible experience because the lady sitting across from me after I'd used that analogy a couple of times said, please don't say that anymore. My husband was run over by a truck. My goodness. Oh, it was awful. (laughs) Oh, well. But, you know, life is hazard. We don't know. So the moral of the story is to plan ahead of time and take some action, both for health care decisions, we're not going to talk any more this morning about powers of attorney and trust and so forth, but those are really important things to do. And the budget is such an important document. I do want to mention a couple of things for that. Basically, you want to look at a whole year's worth of records and know what your true costs are, how much you're spending on credit cards. Are there ways that you can cut down on your budget? Are you ready for retirement? Even if you're in retirement, a lot of people just retire and they don't have a plan. So whether you're retired or getting close to retirement or hope that you might want to retire 30 or 40 years from now, you got to plan for it, and uh, people typically don't. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, spending and spending habits. Um, how can you save money, for example, on health care costs? Well, I guess one thing I would say, Tenny, for health care costs is stay healthy, right? <laughs> That's true. But uh, remember that most people 65 and older are covered by a program called Medicare, which is a health insurance program, and there are different parts to it. The important thing for everyone 65 and older to remember is that you need some sort of supplement with the Medicare program. And a supplement may be provided by Blue Cross, may be provided by Harvard Pilgrim or Tufts, But the important thing is not everyone needs the same supplement. And that's why every year I go to what is called the Shine Counselor at the Council on Aging. Good point. And I ask that counselor, gosh, I'm very healthy. I go to the doctor once a year. I take two minor medications. What do I need for supplemental insurance? And that counselor is um, able to analyze through computer programs and through their own knowledge what is the best approach to buying a supplement plan do you need one that will cover a very low deductible because you're often at the doctor or can you get by with a high deductible because you're rarely at the doctor so minimizing health care cost number one if you are on medicare reevaluate every single year with the shine counselor Because if you do that, you might find that you're paying too much money or you can reduce your expenses. Anything you can reduce is going to save you money, making it easier to live in retirement. A typical 65-year-old couple is going to leave, going to need $220,000 in retirement to pay medical and drug bills. And we don't think about this kind of a number. But if, let's say you retire at 65 and you live to 85, that's 20 years. 
During that time period, between medical costs, drug pills, uh, health insurance costs, you're going to spend $220,000 for an average 65-year-old couple. That's huge. Most people don't think about that as an expense in retirement, but it's a big cost, and that's what we're trying to focus on today. So I said, well, stay healthy. Now, that might mean lose some weight, get into a weight loss program, join a gym, exercise. Go for a walk. Go for a walk. Go walking. You need to really have a very specific checklist or program of what are you going to do to stay healthy? Because if you stay healthy, you might need fewer drugs. Um, I tell a lot of stories about my own medical situation, but at one point in time, I was put on a five milligram dosage of a blood pressure medicine. And the reason was because I rushed into the office one day uh, a little late for the appointment, and my blood pressure was slightly elevated. Or it might have been the young lady next to me who was taking my blood pressure. I'm not sure what it was. But for whatever reason, my blood pressure was higher than it normally was. And so the doctor said, well, just as a precaution, we probably ought to give you some blood pressure medicine. I said, I don't think I have a blood pressure, but he's, he's sort of pressured a little bit. And I said, well, all right, then I want the lowest possible dosage. So I took five milligrams. Well, I've been doing that for several years, and so recently I went to a, a new cardiologist that I have, and um, I asked if I could get off that medicine. My blood pressure has been perfect for my age, so I no longer take that medicine. Well, it's a small thing, but I'm no longer paying that copay every month for that medicine either. The point of all this is that if you walk, if you stay physically fit, if you do something to exercise, Maybe you can reduce the medicines that you take. Well, and the other point is that it's important that you are the person who takes care of your own health in the the sense that you want to ask questions of your doctor. You don't want to simply um, go by whatever they may uh, say that you should do, and you want to continuously evaluate whether or not you're on the right medicines or doing the right thing for yourself. Yeah, that's a good point, too. So stay healthy, exercise, uh, maybe question some of the medications that you're on. Um, I personally have a philosophy that I don't want to take anything that I don't absolutely have to take. Why do I want to pump myself up with drugs? You know, it's just not not worth it. But um, look at your overall budget again and see what can you reduce for expenses. Uh, it should be sort of a well-known thought today, but don't smoke. If you're smoking, see if you can join a stop smoking clinic and get rid of your smoking. But uh, anything you can do to stay healthier means two things. It means you're going to live longer. It means you're going to have far fewer medical expenses in retirement. And we want to avoid some other things when we come to thinking about retirement. We want to avoid mistakes. Number one mistake people make is they don't have a plan. We can help you put together our retirement plan. And remind you, this show is brought to you MoneyWise every week by USA Wealth Group. Give us a call at 508-998-8858. We're happy to sit down with no charge and do an evaluation and make some recommendations for you. But you have to take some actions. And so that's why I said, wake up, America. It's later than you think. Health costs, we've been talking about um, Think about maybe even downsizing housing. A lot of people maintain the house that they've been in for a long time, but maybe they don't really need to. 
You know, Tenny, there's a lot of information out today. There's almost too inf- too much information. Um, there's a great story that appeared in the Wall Street Journal earlier this year in January on the best online tools for navigating retirement. If somebody wants a copy of this, I'd be happy to provide that for them as well. And basically it tells you a whole series of online things you can look at that will help you estimate retirement costs as well. You're not alone out there when it comes to planning your finances for retirement. And we can provide you a copy of that article or we can direct you to some of those websites if you think you simply want to do some of these things on your own. And even if you've done estate planning documents, Tenny, I know you recommend that they be reevaluated every few years, right? Oh, absolutely, because two things are likely to have changed. One, your own family situation, and secondly, the laws that were in place when you did that uh, original plan may have changed as well. So we suggest that people come in to see us every three to five years and tell us what is new in their family life, uh, what's new in their financial life, and we talk to them about what might be new legally. I've, I've met several people this past week who have come in and said, gee, I did my plan in 1997. Should I be talking to you again? Or 2002? Oh, so many things have changed legally uh, since the 2003 Uh, implication of the Massachusetts estate tax, for example, or the 2009 uh, enactment of the Uniform Trust Code and the Uniform Probate Code. All these things are going to impact how your estate plan is working or maybe not working. So take some time to plan, take some time to do a review, and take some time specifically to look at those medical areas where you can cut down on expenses. You know, when we talk about medical expenses, Tenny, um, we have very lengthy presentations we do on Social Security planning. Not everybody has the opportunity to get out to one of the seminars that I do on Social Security, but it's such a critical topic. Uh, Number one age in this country that most people take Social Security is age 62. For most people, that's the wrong decision. Number two age that most people take Social Security in this country is age 65, Because people operate under the mistaken belief that in order to sign up for Medicare, the health insurance program, at age 65, they have to sign up for Social Security, and that's not the case. You can also take it all the way up to age 70, and you're going to have a lot more money for the rest of your life. So if you'd like information, ladies and gentlemen listening, on Social Security, that absolutely has to integrate with your entire financial plan for how you're planning for retirement. You know, uh, Tenny, um, there's a lot of confusion about Social Security in general. You've given some good advice about going to see a Shine counselor. You can do that even before you begin taking Medicare, can't you? Yes, you could uh, go in and see a Shine counselor at any time, and generally they are most busy in the sign-up period, which starts usually in October and ends in early December every year. But the important thing to remember is at 65, you do need to sign up for Medicare because if you don't, there's a penalty. But just if you sign up for Medicare does not mean that you have to sign up for Social Security at the same time. And by the way, you mentioned the penalty if you don't sign up at the correct time um, at age 65 for Medicare. 
that penalty uh, means you get a, a less of a reimbursement amount, basically, or there's a penalty applied to it. That penalty is for the rest of your life. That's right. It's not just for a one-time penalty or that particular year. So it's critically important you sign up for Medicare at the proper time. You know, the other thing that I find that people don't do a lot, I, I can't tell you how many people I see who have fully retired. They had a 401k plan or a 403b plan if they were a teacher, for example. And sometimes I'll see them several years after they've retired and they still have their money sitting in the 401k plan or in the 403b plan. That's another big retirement mistake. When you are retired, it's very important. Uh, there's about four or five really good reasons why you don't want to leave it in a 401k. You want to roll it out instead to an IRA account. And by the way, there's a difference between a rollover and a transfer. A rollover is when you say to your company, send me a check for the money in my 401k account to my name, and I'm going to take it and put it someplace else in an IRA. Well, you've got 60 days to do that. That's called a rollover. You're only allowed to do one rollover within any 12-month period. If you make the mistake of doing that on two accounts, then you can no longer roll over the second one, the second account, and instead it's going to be taxed as ordinary income to you. On the other hand, you can do an unlimited amount of transfers. So you can take and have your 401k transferred directly to another institution. That's called a transfer. There's no limit on how many of that you can do. But a lot of people make the mistake of taking the money out, and it's a fairly new regulation from the IRS that if you take the money into your own name and then you put it into another IRA account within 60 days, you can only do that once in a 12-month period. So there are a lot of retirement mistakes to make, but just as significantly, there are a lot of important retirement things that you can do. Um, Tenny, do you do things other than just estate planning? Uh, For example, do you do real estate transactions in your office and things of that nature? We do. Um, What happens is if an estate is being settled and the beneficiaries of that estate have a piece of real estate that they end up wanting to sell, we often represent them. They are the sellers And so we would represent them in the real estate transaction. We probably do the deed. If the property is in a trust, we would do a trustee's certificate. We might end up doing something called an affidavit to release the estate tax lien, all those kinds of little uh, tricky things that are needed when you want to transfer property from an estate to somebody else. You know, there's something else that people ought to be thinking about. If you or somebody in your family has a chronic illness, something that's potentially debilitating, maybe it's something that will not allow you to work. A lot of times people will say, well, gee, I'm 62 years of age and I've just developed this condition. I guess I should go and apply for Social Security. There might be something better you can do. And one of the things you could do, for example, is consider applying for Social Security disability instead of Social Security retirement. Because if you qualify for Social Security disability, first of all, it's going to be a higher amount than it would be if you take regular retirement Social Security. And you can stay on disability until you reach your full retirement age. And then at that point, your disability will drop and you'll pick up your regular Social Security retirement but now you may have a larger benefit amount at age 66. 
We have a very good checklist for planning for chronic illness as well, and there's a lot of good information on that particular topic. We've also worked, uh, we don't do Social Security disability in our office, uh, those applications, but we can refer you to somebody in the community who does. Uh, For example, uh, in New Bedford is attorney Dan Denardis. We've had him on the radio program here before, and he does a great deal of Social Security disability. He's very expert at that. And I'm happy to recommend my friend Dan, if you're listening, Dan. Um, But think about those possibilities. There's always something you can do if you have a medical condition. You know, the other thing I tell people often in planning for disability or health needs is don't just look at your retirement plan and your retirement budget, but while you're healthy, it might be the time to apply for certain kinds of life insurance. We did that with a gentleman on the vineyard. We did a $1 million life insurance term policy for him, very affordable. Um, At the age of 66, somewhere around there, he suddenly developed Lou Gehrig's disease. He died within three years. No way to predict that. And the only significant asset he had in the estate was his large life insurance policy. You know, Tenny, there's so much we could continue to talk about. We've tried to hit a lot of topics today dealing with medical issues in retirement how to protect your home. We want to make sure that people take action. So on your side, what what would you like to summarize and tell people to do? What you said just a minute or so ago reminded me that um, lawyers usually specialize, although they cannot be said to do so by the bar. Um, it is important that you go to an attorney that has knowledge in the area that you are looking to get some advice about. So if you want some advice about disability insurance, you probably go see somebody like Dan. But if you want advice about estate planning, please come and see us. We are members of the American Academy of Estate Planning Attorneys, a very prestigious organization. Uh, we are at 508-998-8800 at Fonts Corner Road. Okay. Thank you very much for being our guest this morning, uh, Attorney Tenny Lance. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. This is the time to take action. It doesn't matter what your age is. Have a plan. Do something today to protect your family. And we'll see you again next week on the radio.